Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. The Ringer is launching a new podcast from the guys who brought you Cespedes Family Barbecue called Baseball Barbecue. Hosted by Jake Mintz and Jordan Schusterman, they're bringing you the good, the bad, and the utterly bizarre corners of the baseball world and everything that makes it special. Throughout the offseason, they'll dive into the rabbit hole on some of their favorite fascinations from the home run derby to baseball brawls and much more. Once the season returns, they'll break down the latest MLB news and developments. You can subscribe to Baseball Barbecue on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome to Against All Odds, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Cousin Sal here along with heel producer Jim Cunningham. What's happening, Jim? Not much, Sal. How you doing? Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm confused, I have to say. If still, well, there's still very little sports. Um, that's constant, but we're getting mixed res- mixed messages out here in California. I don't know what's open. I think they're trying to open a little today, but then LA County's not open. But 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 the beaches are, but you can't sit down. The beaches are, you can't sit down. I'm thinking of going with the boys because we would throw the ball around. But I, going by their regulations, it doesn't look like we could stand there in a semicircle and throw a football to each other with masks on. It seems like you have to keep moving. You go, to the, you go from the strand and you have to sprint to the, to the sea and then either uh, surf or swim. And those right. are the only options. You can't play volleyball, obviously. You can't park in a, in a blanket. You can't sunbathe and you can't play ball but i'm gonna yeah. i'll check in with you i'll let you know have you done anything i think one of the rules is no fun so. that's right yeah. yeah it's a no fun league it's a no fun state <laughs> uh anyway yeah i don't know what the i you know what it is i change my mind every single day about whether people should go out or whether they shouldn't and it's really healthy it's to just do a 180 every day on your stance <laughs> um Hey, here's some fellas who uh, don't live in California. My gurus of gambling, my wizards of wagering, my barons of betting, my overlords of the odds, the degenerate trifecta, Harry, Brother Bry, and Darren, the parlay kid. What's happening, fellas? What's going on, Sal? Sal, what's shaking? What's going on, buddy? Ooh, what's shaking? Harry mixes it up. Uh, Arizona mm-hmm. mixing it up, too, Harry. Your hometown, where you are right now, they are open um, for sports and in conjunction with Major League Baseball's plan. Looks like if the players agree to stipulations, this could be a real thing, right? This could be something. Yeah, Governor Ducey's uh, cleared the path for uh, everything going on here. And also starting uh, today, uh, you can go to uh, your gym, your local gym and everything. Restaurants are opening. Uh, Arizona's ready to roll. And you're going to go, what are you going to do first, gym or restaurant? Hold on, let me think. Let's put put odds on this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or or Jim Steakhouse, maybe a little combination of the two. All right. No comment. Uh, by the way, Harry <laughs> made a mockery out of all of us. Not really me. I'm medium range uh, UFC MMA guy. Uh, the Parlay Kid and Brother Bry, they watch it, I would say, religiously. And Harry watches it not at all. And he not only was the only one who hit his best bet, but won a big parlay, had like five fights. To be honest, it was it was a nice night for the favorites. I think one of the favorites like nine and two or something. Um, Brother Bry, you lost you lost more money than some of the fighters on the card earned. Isn't that right? <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. It was a, a fucking shit show that night. I just <laughs> it started. Well, I, it's funny because I first hit a parlay, right? I ate a, a three man parlay. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think things are going to go well. I lose the Waterson fight, which was my best bet. Although I thought she won, but it was close. But the scoring was way out of whack. Two mm-hmm. two separate three nothing scoring. 
Um, and then I just chased the shit out of that. I was just like, and but then I was like, you know what? Harry doesn't watch this shit. I am just going to continue to just go against whatever Harry has right now. And it just backfired galore. Like I took Cowboy again, <laughs> Pettis thought, I mean, I thought again, that was another one where yeah. I thought the eye poke really hurt Cowboy because I thought he probably, that really looked like, I mean, from a judge's perspective, you probably would have had uh, Pettis winning that round because you thought he was hurt there. Right. Uh, but then mm -hmm. after that, then I was just getting stupid with some of these bets. Then I'm trying to hit like, you know, bigger bets by betting, uh, you know, distance or different things. And then you I, hit I, it all. I just you got, lost. All I just got killed. You had to chase it. It was a big, big binge, <laughs> big binge uh, episode there for Brother Bry. Um, there's a card tonight uh, on ESPN Plus. There's one Saturday. Some of these guys might get into this with their best bets later. We're going to talk about MJ, the last dance. That's all anyone's talking about. But we're going to focus on the betting aspect of the bulls in the mid to late nineties. How profitable was it really? Um, and I'm going to interview Richard Eskinas. He was featured on the last dance. He claimed and wrote a book claiming that Michael Jordan owed him $1.3 million in golf gambling debts. Jordan uh, retired. And a lot of people said he retired because of a subsequent gambling investigation. I'm going to, I'm going to hammer him a little bit. We're going to see what he's all about. This Richard Eskinas. Now, I want to talk football, though, because we have to at least pretend that it's coming back in September. I don't want to do week one lines. We did it on Lock It In digitally, and I was like, this is, I don't know why this doesn't make sense to me. But one thing we can talk about, this probably doesn't make sense either. There are currently four quarterback controversies to start the season, maybe more, and maybe these are not necessarily controversies, but it's up in the air as to who is going to take snaps on the Bears, the Chargers, the Dolphins, and the Patriots. And Parley Kid, let's get with the Bears. Fox bet list odds right now. Who will be the starting quarterback for the Bears week one? Is it Nick Foles, minus 333, heavy favorite, or Mitch Trubisky, plus 235? What are you thinking, Parley Kid? Yeah, this is an interesting one, Sal. I mean, I, they're bringing Foles in for a reason, right? But what has Foles shown you? All right, all right, he won a Super Bowl. We know that, right? He's he's a Super Bowl champ. But if we're just talking straight numbers here, okay? Uh, Foles as a starter is and forty eight career starts is twenty six and twenty two. Mitch mm -hmm. Trubisky and forty one starts is twenty three and eighteen. Very similar records. In fact, if anything, Trubisky has the edge in terms of winning percentage. And the rest of the stats look very similar. I really cannot figure out, Son. I am in the minority with this, and I think you are too, of what the hate for Mitch Trubisky really is there in Chicago. Um, my only guess is, is because the other quarterbacks that were drafted after him right. have shown to be far superior. I think the Bears are giving up on him a little too early if Foles is the starting quarterback here. I think Trubisky... I, I think he's better than he's given credit for. I'm not sure if he's really had the weapons there. How many weapons has he really had there in Chicago? Right. Uh, dominant other offensive players to really work with. He's never had a great line, um, a great running game, uh, or great receivers, a great tight end. He hasn't really had that. Uh, I think this is an open competition here. Uh, and Foles was brought in maybe to get the best out of Trubisky. I know they didn't pick up. His option for next year, uh, the following, you know, 20, yep, the five uh, 21. Um, but I think this is open here. And I think 
anything anything is game here. He could be the starting quarterback. So at plus two thirty five, I I like those odds over the minus. 300-something for Foles. I kind of agree. Full, first of all, they gave him $24 million for three years. I think 21 is guaranteed. So they don't have to start him based on the money. No one's going to go crazy there. And I think Bears fans want to strangle me for saying this, but I kind of think Trubisky has more upside. I really do. And right, I know it's right. like we see him. Sometimes he's he can't throw a six-yard pass, and sometimes he's he's got the receivers dead to rights. But And I think you brought it up. Like the Bears quarterback has never been dominant. I, I don't think Jim McMahon. No, look this up, Harry. You might have even told me this. Jim McMahon, I don't think ever had a 300 yard passing game. I'm pretty yeah, sure. I mean, he, you look at his stats. His stats were awful as a quarterback. It just he had the team around him. Yeah, thank you. Now you you don't have that the luxury of that defense for sure uh, that Jim McMahon did. But Trubisky Foles seems like a toss up more than anything. I like the plus 235 right there. Um. Harry, let's talk Chargers. You got Taylor and you got Herbert. Taylor, Ty Taylor, minus 400. Justin Herbert drafted number five, plus 290. You're going to go Taylor here. I know you liked him with the Bills. He just seems like a guy, even when the Bills started him, they knew he wasn't going to be the answer almost immediately. But that doesn't mean he's not going to start the season off for the Chargers. What do you think? No, you're right, Sal. I mean, I think Taylor here is the play, though. Uh, like He's going to be 31 when the season starts, but uh, he's been around since 2011. Uh, he's been a quality player when he's had to fill in. He can manage a game. I don't think, and I don't think you guys uh, think either, that Herbert is really ready at this point uh, right now. And again, look, I, I looked up Tyrod Taylor's stats when he was with the Bills from 2015 to 2017. They're pretty impressive. I mean, uh, I, you wouldn't think this about him. He had 51 touchdowns touchdowns passing only 16 picks during that time and he also had 14 rushing touchdowns and 1500 combined rushing yards very impressive so uh, listen if he starts the season for the Chargers they didn't go after anybody in free agency they grabbed Herbert in the draft so listen it's going to be Taylor they've got weapons on offense too Austin Eckler 1500 combined yards last year they re-signed him in the offseason 11 touchdowns he had 993 yards of uh, receiving last year, 944 yak yards. That's crazy. Uh, Keenan Allen and uh, and Mike Williams combined for 2,200 yards. And Hunter Henry, Sal, I know you like him a lot as the tight end. Five mm -hmm. touchdowns, 55 catches last year. They got weapons on offense, so Taylor can manage his team and maybe you know weather the storm a little bit in the beginning of the season to see how things go with him. If they can go to two, uh, three and two right off the bat, I think the Chargers would take that. All right, I'm going to go with Herbert here. and. I think it's worth it at plus 290 because, you know, maybe it was a mistake, but you're you're putting a lot of money at minus 400 on a guy who was benched for Nate Peterman. Nathan. Nathan Peterman. And you got Herbert drafted fifth at plus 290. And there's always one of these guys like, oh, he's not going to be ready yet. So, well, I don't think Gardner Minshew at this time last year, anyone thought he was going to be ready. And he started for the Jaguars. There's always somebody that sneaks in. That's why I think plus 290 is a good number. Brother Bry, you have the Dolphins three-way race here, according to Fox Bet. Ryan Fitzpatrick, minus 500. Tua Tagovailoa 350. Obviously, uh, the, that was the number four draft pick. And uh, Rosen, Josh Rosen, 22 to 1 odds. Um, it's funny because the week one game is against the Patriots, I believe, for the Dolphins. And if you remember, Ryan Fitzpatrick pretty much ended the Patriots dynasty. You might say Ryan Tannehill. It was definitely one of the Ryans <laughs> that ended uh, Tom Brady's dynasty, at least in New England. Um, 
I don't know. What do you think? And you still like the favorite Fitzpatrick. I think it's worth taking a shot on one of these underdogs. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? I do like, I mean, if you're going to put a gun to my head now, Fitzpatrick minus 500 seems right. Obviously, Flores seemed to trust uh, Fitzpatrick last year, especially after the Rockies started. I mean, they were one of the worst teams ever to start their season, but they finished up the season five and four. Um, The one thing is with the Dolphins, right? They really have no pressure to win which mm-hmm. I could, that that is a reason to maybe start a young guy. Uh, but maybe the Dolphins, the Jags, Panthers, maybe the only teams that really have no pressure this year. Um, but I, the only thing is right now, especially on the Tua side, is I, first of all, they haven't even had Tua in yet to right. really check on his health. So I don't think they're going to rush anything with Tua. We have no idea with mini camps. We have no idea with preseason. Um, I would assume, if anything, it's going to be condensed a little bit which means I don't think two is going to start week one. I mean, do I think if Tua can start week three or four, should he start? Yes, he should start. I don't think, I don't think for Tua, you know, as long as they say health wise, he can play, he should play. Uh, the one thing is, I guess you could say with everything going on in the world, uh, is it worthless in the minus 500? Maybe if like, who <laughs> knows? I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe one of these quarterbacks has, Corona and can't play right, right for a week or two. And then maybe you look at a Josh Rosen at like 22 to one, like off of an injury with Fitzpatrick. They're just like, we're just going to yeah. throw Rosen out there. So there is some value maybe on Rosen a little bit, uh, 22 to one. Um, but I'd still probably take the minus 500 with. Well, that's what I was exactly the reasoning I was uh, employing there. Maybe two is too green, not ready. Don't want to put him in. I'll be a little less um, doom and gloom. Maybe the injury to Fitzpatrick can be just- 37 years old, maybe strains an MCL and uh, right. whatever preseason game there. Then you got Rosen at 22 to one. He's played before. Not, not a bad number there to put him in. Um, probably not going to start, but a 22 to one. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. good odds. Yep. Yeah. Parlay kid. The Patriots are a little more interesting and Fox bet has an option for them. The guy's not even on the roster. You got Jer- uh, Jared Stidham minus 450 to start. Brian Hoyer plus 450 to start. Cam Newton, that's the guy, not on the roster, five to one odds. Now, I'll say this. I think Belichick getting a little cute here. Could have drafted a quarterback in the first round, traded the pick, down, went second. Now they drafted a safety from Lenore Moy. Like, uh, well, that was a school that didn't even exist, actually. And uh, <laughs> I looked it up. Uh, really, really doing whatever he can to not have a serviceable quarterback in there, which makes me think he's not going to sign Cam Newton. Because why win a title with Cam Newton? It's still a named quarterback. What are you proving in terms of you know your legacy away from Tom Brady? Nothing. That said, Stidham, four career attempts against Hoyer, as boring as they come, as boring as his name is, which way are you going, Parley Kid? So I'm going to take the favorite here with Stidham at minus 450. I know those odds aren't great, but it really does seem like this is the direction they're going in. Um, I think our... Pal Dave Damashek made a good point this week regarding just like uh, Belichick bringing a good quarterback in, which you kind of just made that point. Uh, yeah. Not a good quarterback, but a proven quarterback in. Mm-hmm. Um, Belichick kind of gets a free pass, right? If Stidham's the quarterback and they win seven games, they win eight games, kind of yep. be like, okay, that, that was fine. Uh, and if he happens to win 10 or more with Stidham, he's a genius, right? So I think I think he likes that challenge. And here's the deal. We watched a full season of the Patriots last year. We, I think we watched a lot. Of, I watched a lot of Patriot games. Mm-hmm. S- many, many of these games, I think we could all admit that 
Brady was kind of pedestrian in a lot of games, and and they still won. Um, I think Stidham could be uh, more than pedestrian. I think he could. I think he's going to be rather uh, serviceable for the Patriots. Mm-hmm. I think he might be uh, almost as good as Brady was last year. Uh, he was sixty-one for ninety in the preseason. That's a lot of preseason passes that he got last year. Threw for seven hundred thirty-one yards, four touchdowns, one INT, one INT in ninety. Um, attempts, really nice job. And that's really what the Patriots asked Brady to do last year. Brady had eight interceptions and 630 attempts through 24 touchdown passes. Uh, nothing extraordinary. And I think this is what they're looking for Stidham to do. Stidham might actually bring a little bit more athleticism back there than Brady did. So yeah. I think he's the quarterback, minus 450. The odds aren't great, but I, I think that barring injury, that's the direction they're going in. I think it's going to be fun because here's what I, I feel like the Patriots and, you know, Brady wasn't that good. Wasn't good at all. Struggled to hit 60% completion rate. And it was because of the defense. The defense was really solid. Allowed what? Like 11 points a game at one point uh, up until like week 14 or something. They lost. They had a lot of key losses there. They lost Danny Shelton, uh, Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, the safety Harmon. I think a lot of those guys went to the Lions and Dolphins with Patricia and uh, Flores. So you won't have that crutch if you're Stidham. Now, what this means is there's going to be a lot of cheating, a lot of great cheating, because he's going to dig deep. You're right. He, Belichick does not want to go. It's a, if, if he goes 7-9, and nine, it's fine. It's understandable. Obviously, if he wins 10 games, it's great. He can't go 3-13, and 13, and that's what they want to avoid, and he's going to be cheating like a you're no, Right? Jim, you've you got two games against him with the Jets. What do you even think? Black cat, who knows what the hell he's going to pull out. Yeah, he probably doesn't need to cheat in those ones, but yeah, I'm sure he'll find a new way to do it. <laughs> I think the Jets are going to be good. Uh, in spite of what Harry says, I, I actually think that Sammy Darnold's going to be good. Seven, maybe maybe Belichick year. will pay off Casper the ghost. That's right. There's ghosts. There's black cats. There's a lot going on there. Um, Let's talk MJ and the Bulls, this documentary. This is the only thing anyone has to look forward to. Sunday nights, nine Eastern, six Pacific. We're all, everyone gets around the TV. The wife was furious at me uh, this past week. Mother's Day, we put on Money in the Bank uh, and my two youngest are watching that and then we're all watching. And then at six o'clock, me and the oldest, my boy Archie, I'm like, hey, let's go upstairs and watch Jordan. And, and then I hear screaming. She's like, are you watching the Jordan documentary upstairs while you stick me with this wrestling down here? I was like, yes, that's exactly what I did. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> that's what happens. But uh, anyway, it's what we all get together. We all watch it. But I wanted to, I was thinking about like from a gambling perspective, um, this is my later years in college. I was around Harry. Obviously, then I'd come home and be around Brother Brian, Parlor Kid. I don't think I made money at all off the Bulls. I don't think I profited. <laughs> I really don't. I, I, all these powerhouses, I never made any money. The Bulls, the Bills were big, obviously, in my early 20s. Um, Duke, maybe I made money off Duke and their run. But it's uh, it's too much to cover over the full Jordan reign. But let's take the two seasons from November 95 to June 97. This is David Purdom from ESPN who uh, supplied us with this. The Bulls were favored in 185 consecutive games, only 97-87-1 against the spread. So... Uh, and they were favored by an average of 10 points a game uh, during that time period. Now, I didn't yeah. know about the I, I knew about the money line. I didn't know. I guess I didn't have enough money oh. to bet the money yeah. line on them back then, although I, I should have just, you know, just done what I do now. Yeah. I just go into debt 
lose and not not worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> Brother Bry, you were a little younger during the Jordan era. What do you remember about Bennington? Other than like the Yankees in 2001 and the Yankees 2004, I think that 93 Knicks season was like the most upset I ever was. Parley kid, you were upset with that season too. Yeah, they, huh. they were minus 150 against the Knicks. And then they beat Phoenix in six. They were minus right. 240 in the finals there. Um, that was interesting because that was, I think, the closest their preseason odds. Maybe I'm, I'm we'll go over these in a minute. No, but but what are you what are your uh what are your thoughts on that? Could they have beaten Phoenix the Knicks that year? Uh yeah. The Knicks were built, you know, look, those were the years, if you remember, the the league was predicated, and no matter how great of a scorer Michael Jordan was. Those games were predicated on defense, right? I mean, every possession counted. And the Knicks were an excellent defensive team. And you're just talking about the Bulls. We'll just take that year, for for example. And you could, as we said, plus 300 coming into the season. I think if that were to ever happen today, um, wouldn't we all be jumping? We would have been like, oh, my gosh, guys, we got to jump on this now before these odds change. I've taken the Warriors at minus 180. That's what exactly. Right, exactly. And if, if you're looking, and you're, I'm just taking this year, and I'm looking at some of the stats right now, and one of the things you mentioned is is uh, some of those years, the Bulls' record um, against the spread, right? So uh, yeah. this is a team that was probably a, a, a lot of the times a 10-point favorite, right? Yep. But if you look at their, their average score, they were averaging about 105 points a game and giving mm-hmm. up 99 points a game. So they really probably weren't going to cover the spread that often yeah. with mm-hmm. those numbers. It's just a different time of basketball. Um, and uh, yeah, do, uh, yeah, I do think the Knicks could have beaten Phoenix. At, yeah, I know the Phoenix was, I think, at the start of the playoffs, they were the favorite, right, to win the whole thing? I believe I think so, they, yeah. They were the favorite. They were even have better odds than the Knicks. But I do think the Knicks, it was just a bad, bad, bad timing for Patrick Ewing. Oh, I feel bad for Patrick. And, you know, Oakley's been getting on him lately in the – you know, Patrick mm-hmm. had some really good series against the uh, the Bulls too. Just a just bad luck for Ewing to. I do feel to, that we we know. have the whole Tony Romo feel for him. I think too. Yeah. He misses the yeah. turnaround jumper against the Pacers too, with no time left. Yeah, you know, that that sucked, and people remember that. But let, let's go through these, and this is courtesy of Matt Moore from Action Network. He chronicled all the Bulls odds of their championship series. I'm gonna. Um, I'm going to start from the middle and then jump to the end and then back to the beginning. And I'm just going to confuse everyone. No, I'm going to start from the beginning. Uh, the first championship year, 90-91, they had 61 wins. Before the playoffs, they're plus 250. They beat the Knicks and Sixers. Eastern Conference, minus 270. You guys jump in if you have anything. Pistons, they take care of. And then the Lakers, after they beat up on the Pistons, we should have known that the Lakers were going to go down, but they were only minus 200 against them. They finished them off. No problem. Yeah, Sal, yeah. could I say, though, that season, so the preseason, right, there's there's 701 odds coming in, which probably at that point some were really great odds because right in the yeah. 90 season right before that, they went seven games with the with Detroit. And you're thinking, like, this is the next great team, probably. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was only, you know, 10 at that point, but I would think most you people sh- would be thinking that. So 701 odds at that point I thought were we're really good looking at that. You should have told us fourth grade. Brian should have poked us and say, Hey, you idiots jump on the bulls. They're going to win six of the next eight years, whatever. Yeah. Nine, then 91, 92, you're not getting any bargain because they're plus two fifty at the beginning of the season. Uh, 
minus 200 before the playoffs. They have 67 wins. They beat the Heat, the Knicks in seven. And then there's the Cavs in six. They were minus 650. That's that ELO game. But, but a lot of a lot of bad. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why he's getting shit for not playing defense. It was good defense on that shot. And then Portland, minus 250. They beat up Portland in six. Um, I don't know, Harry. Did you think Portland had a shot there? Yeah, I thought they did have a little bit of a shot just because, you know, Clyde Drexler had a great season that uh, that year, too. But uh, it was great uh, watching Jordan just uh, watching these shows, uh, watching him say exactly what he's thinking in terms of these uh, these turn uh, conferences, uh, tournaments when the championships where he just knows when he gets a little bit of something from somebody when they thought that Drexler could give him a game. He just was out of his said that he was out of his realm and that that just made him go crazy. And he was unbelievable after that. And that's when they did the game where he just did the uh, lifting up of the arms when he's hitting the threes. And it was just over from there. Well, that was it. It was a different challenge every time where when you had, you know, reporters and people and pundits, sports pundits saying, well, Drexler and Jordan at that point were the same player. It's like, uh oh, well, he's going to prove him wrong for sure. Then the following year, preseason plus 120. Now the value in the Bulls is all gone, all over. Before the playoffs, though, plus 300, they beat the Hawks, they beat the Cavs, uh, they beat the Knicks in the Eastern Conference Final, minus 150 is one we talked about, and then Phoenix in six. Um, Jordan returns from baseball 12-1 to 1 in the preseason because there's no Jordan. Uh, he, had, he had retired, uh, and then he comes back, and they play the Magic in the Eastern Conference Semifinals. I remember laying... Heavy on the Bulls here. I'm like, oh, Michael Jordan, the Bulls. I haven't made money off of them. I'm going to make money off of them when they play the Magic at my minus 185. And it didn't happen, Parley kid. It really didn't happen. 55 no. on the team. No, they but, lost uh, the Magic. But, but honestly, uh, I think uh, your money was in the right place. I mean, if you, you know, just looking back, uh, why would you bet against Jordan? Like, right? Like, he comes back. There's so much goodwill regarding this uh you just mm-hmm. assuming he's winning right so you can't can't really look back with regrets on that and then i think like hakeem one i think it would have lifted hakeem's status obviously only if they would have won and beaten the bulls but right i feel like hakeem gets a little bit of uh you know that doesn't Good get to point. the wrong he really should because he didn't face jordan in the finals like he could have right. that that That's year great point the fourth the 72 and 10 year Plus three fifty preseason before the playoffs minus four hundred. I mean that what a bet that is seventy two wins minus four hundred. They beat the Heat. They beat the Knicks. They take care of the Magic this year uh, minus five hundred in that series, and then they crush the Sonics minus nine fifty in the finals. Oh, Bright, wow. Bright, you like that Sonics team? Uh, <laughs> it was fun, but it, it's funny because it, when you do look at that. The, the list of teams that the Bulls win, won against. I, I always felt like it was tougher in the Eastern Conference. I always felt like they had a tougher time, you know, in the Eastern Conference. I, the West at that point in time, while they had some fun teams, the Suns, the Sonics, um, I was never, I don't know, if I was a Bulls fan, I never w- would have been scared going into those finals once they got there. But but it, even again, that I do think the odds for the 96 season of plus 350 were really good because, again, you had Jordan coming in in 95, they lost in the conference finals to Orlando where they were favorites. And then, I mean, Jordan only played like a few weeks leading up into that playoff. Yeah. So you you had to figure if he was coming back, he was coming back hardcore. So again, plus 350, I mean, one of the greatest seasons of all time. But yep. that, that seems so easy going back if you could get odds like that. 
And then the fifth championship, they're even odds. The book bookmakers learn their lesson. Minus 200 for the playoffs to beat the Bullets, the Hawks, and then the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals, where they're big, big favorites. And then the Jazz for the first time, minus 600. Um, and then that leads to the last dance, 97-98. Now, this is the closest their preseason odds were to their final odds. Plus 140 in the mm. preseason, minus 115 in the finals. Um, the Jazz play them tough this year, right, Parlay Kid? I think Jordan yeah. steals the ball from uh, Malone in the final seconds of game six, and then Stockton puts up a three and misses at the buzzer, right? Yeah, another team, uh, a, a Jazz team, I think if you were a jazz fan, you kind of feel like you did as a Nick fan. Like so close, some superstar yep. players, right? Actually, they probably even had with Stockton and Malone more than what Ewing had around him. But kind of feel for them that they they never got that title, just playing in a, a, a at the wrong time period, I guess. And like you said, yeah, the the odds for the Bulls uh, coming into that in the preseason plus one forty, but. I, I believe was was Pippen holding out at that point. Uh, that was the well. year. Was right? that the yeah. year? So, yeah. I, so I think Pippen was a holdout. Um, yeah, there was a again, but being that that was Jackson's last season. Again, it was probably pretty smart to bet on the Bulls there, right? Thinking like, yeah. all right, this is their last hurrah. Again, if that was these days, I think we'd have a lot of money at plus one forty for on sure, Bulls. for sure. So there's two more episodes of the Last Dance. I don't know what we do then. I guess. What happens, Bri? The timelines eventually meet and there's an explosion <laughs> and we're allowed to leave our houses? I, I don't know. I, I said, right? It's like it's like an episode of Lost, like with the flashbacks, right? You have no idea where what it is, what time period you're at. I've been told on Twitter that I'm a baby about this and it's not that hard to follow. I don't think it's hard to follow. I, I watched it. I was there for it. I think younger people learning are probably confused. Jim, what are your thoughts of The Last Dance? I've liked it so far, and I didn't think it was as uh, complicated as you seem oh. to think the timeline right. is. But I do think that there hasn't been that much crazy footage that we were told about. Yeah, I feel like you know there what? hasn't been any surprises really. You like, know what? I don't, I don't. I don't think the wire is as complicated as you make it out. To <laughs> yeah, be, that's so. true. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we're even. Uh, that brings us to our sponsored segment, Captain Morgan's Make Believe Riverboat Casino. Each week, the Degenerate Trifecta and I set sail, tackling pretend propositions related to sports and pop culture events. Mike Tyson is coming back. He is back. Forget about MJ. MT is back. He wants a fight. He wants a real fight. He wants to raise money for um, homeless, I think homeless people and drug-addicted drug uh, Americans. And he wants to set a fight. Now there's all sorts of speculation who he's going to fight. Captain Morgan said, hey, leave it up to the fellas. Who do they want to see him fight? Evander Holyfield, five to two odds. Riddick Bowe, four to one odds. Tyson Fury's father has been mentioned in the mix. Seven to one odds. <laughs> Conor McGregor, 15 to one. Or the field at two to one. Harry, which way are you going? You know what? I'm going to take Conor McGregor at 15 to one. He held his own with uh, Floyd Mayweather. Um He's been calling out uh, Justin Gaethje in the past uh, a couple days. Uh, this is how I think it would play out. McGregor gets Gaethje first, and he beats him. He whoops his ass, and then that would set the stage for a like maybe an early winner showdown between Mike and McGregor. Monster payday for both, and everyone gets to see what they want, and everyone wants to see would love to see Tyson fight again. So that I think that would be it. McGregor versus Tyson late in the uh, be well later in the year, beginning of uh, winter. That would be a lot of fun. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Conor McGregor lets a, a racial epithet slip. And, <laughs> you know, that all of a sudden everybody's watching that fight. 
Uh, Brother Brian, which way are you going? All right. Yeah. So I wrote down, I'm going the field too here, but I wrote down like, uh, I don't know. I wrote down like 40 names between <laughs> Xboxers, current boxers, wrestlers, celebrities, um, yep. so many good ones. But it's funny. The one thing I really wouldn't want to see is I don't think I'd want to see Tyson versus another old boxer. Like, uh, you right. know, I don't want another right. Lewis fight. I don't want another, well, yeah. the bow fight never happened. So, but I don't mm-hmm. think, I don't even know if, if Riddick bow is like, mentally with it right now but holy obviously holy feel but a, a third fight I, I really don't need to see that so i thought i do think it's somewhat realistic for him to have a fight against like an mma fighter either like a, i'll go two names so like a stipe or a cormier just in a boxing match or even i even you could say a kickboxing match but what if you just gave me three like three minute rounds right i mean i i don't I'm honest. I'm being honest. I mean, Tyson's still only 53 and like a pure boxing match for just a, a two or three round window mm. in an exhibition. Gosh. Um, I think it's like a legitimate thing you could actually watch. Obviously if, if you're adding more rounds or different things, it's a little different, but you're saying against Stipe. Yeah. Like one a Stipe guys, yeah. or a Cormier, one of those UFC, yeah. one of those UFC heavyweights guys that have some names right now. Um, you know, maybe that's not the big money, but I, any Tyson, I mean, is there anybody's going to watch a Tyson fight right now, yeah, regardless right. if it's three rounds? But I'd be curious how much, how much money that would make. I mean, absolutely. It, I mean, even yeah. like Carrie said, I mean, normally you'd laugh off a Connor thing and say this is mm-hmm. stupid. But what if you just had a three round boxing match? I'd be curious to see what that looks like. Yeah. All right, Parlay Kid, which yeah. way are you going? I, I'm taking the field, and Brian kind of stole a little bit of my thunder. Shit, sorry. Uh, with that. <laughs> Um, but we're gonna have a different guy. But you remember that um, Rocky movie? Was it was it just called like Rocky Balboa, where he comes back and he fights like the Antonio Tarver character? Yeah, right, I forget what the guy's name was. Yeah, Mason it was kind of lame. Dixon. Mason, yeah, Mason the Line Dixon, exactly. But it was kind of lame that it was like made to be like an exhibition. But I don't want to see Tyson fight an exhibition. But if Tyson's mm-hmm. gonna fight, let's fight. All right, he yeah. can do whatever he wants with the money. But let's let's make this legit. Um, who's the hardest puncher in the world right now? Right, we we saw it on display this past weekend in MMA. Right, mm-hmm. Francis Ngannou is uh, yeah. he's a he, like I don't know if anybody in the MMA wants to fight him right now. Tyson, when you watch these videos of him in these mm-hmm. short bursts of himself fighting, um, looks probably better than any other boxer on the planet right now. So let's do this for real. And like Brian said, we can make it a three-rounder or yeah. something to that nature. Tyson versus Ngannou, old versus new, and just a pure <laughs> boxing match. Pure boxing match. I think I like it. maybe Tyson could still win that. Let's do it. Uh, let's no, I'm, do I'm, it. I'm, I'm assuming this is all. He, he can't go in like uh, like Apollo Creed did against, uh, against uh, what do you call it, the Russian there. Ivan Drago. <laughs> Dolph Lundgren. Right, right. Yeah, no, yeah, it's it's yeah. got to be a serious thing. People right. die in those ex- exhibitions. You, you, you don't live. Nobody ever lives in those things. Uh, Jim, what are you saying? Let's assume this is real. I was thinking about maybe Hurricane Peter McNeely. That's what he fought when he came out of retirement the first time. It's terrible. Or uh, maybe he could avenge his last fight, which he lost to that, uh, that Irish guy, Kevin McBride. Right. But right. Um, 
Yeah, but I think I'm going to go with those two guys from that viral video yesterday of the street fight, the <laughs> Jeff Goldblum guy, uh, who actually looked more like Lumberg from Office Space. That guy and the guy with the shaved head with the uh, two by four. <laughs> All right, that I mean, he should fight both of them at once, right? There's no <laughs> yeah, yeah, no oh, sense choosing one. Um, yeah, man, there's so many to think about. Which one, Logan or Ryan Paul? Which one do we go with? Here? No, the the Levar Ryan Ball. Mitch McConnell, but I'm going more, I'm going more Harry speed. I think Tyson Mayweather, am I crazy to think that he could maybe hang with Mayweather or is he just too fast? I mean, I guess if we think that Tyson McGregor would be uh, an honest match and uh, you know, maybe you don't know the winner Mayweather, the trash talking leading up to it would be second to none. They're both from Vegas. I don't know. I think that would be a lot of fun. Brother Bride, would he have a chance against Mayweather? Uh, well, it's hard to say, right? It's like Mayweather starts. Well, that's the thing. If you give a three round fight, I'd be curious to see what Mayweather does because yeah. he's a slow starter. I mean, again, he's, he's given, I mean, Mayweather's naturally a really small guy, so he's still giving up right. like 60, 60, 70 pounds. So it's one of those mythical things. It's hard to say. I mean, normally you just say, all right, well, Mayweather, since he's still in pretty good shape, but there's only what, like a, there's really one, what a, 11 year age difference 10 I don't know right right and maybe defensively Mayweather's got him beat but god that those uh, those uppercuts in the training videos it looks like Tyson could almost match Mayweather's speed offensively I but don't Mayweather, know Mayweather does Mayweather just tire him out and not really fight though the whole time you know I guess I mean it would kind mean, of be the same kind of same uh, thing as McGregor almost right. Right, same kind of thing. All right, well, none of this is ever happening, but it doesn't matter. So that's another week of uh, Captain Morgan's Make Believe Riverboat Casino. We can dream. No matter how you live like a captain, Captain Morgan reminds you to please drink responsibly. Captain's orders. All right, let's go uh, Sharp Tank here. Uh, we got NASCAR. We got Saturday's UFC card. We have, I think, a little soccer somewhere on the earth. Um, Harry, we'll let you go first. You had a winner last, last week. You had... Uh, you were the only winner. You bet against Cowboy Cerrone. You had Pettis. Give us a winner today. Yeah, I'm going to do a, I'm going to go back. I was thinking of going NASCAR, but you know what? Since I won with UFC last week, I'm going to go back to the UFC this week. I'm going to do a two-player parlay. First, at <laughs> minus 205, I'm going to take Miguel Baiza over Matt Brown. Baiza that's undefeated 8-0. Six of those wins have come in two rounds or less. Brown is only 24 and 16 overall in 40 fights. Uh, Baeza sh- seems like he should be able to throttle Brown here. And in the second pick. What the hell? What, what's going on, Jim? <laughs> With my second pick. Jim, what's happening? Minus 115. Uh-huh. Nate, the train Landwer over Darren Elkins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The train is 13 and three. He's won seven of his last eight with four of them coming the way of TKO. Elkins has lost three fights in a row. Let's make it four. Choo choo, baby. Choo choo. The train's coming through, taking Landwer at minus 115 over Elkins and Biza minus 205 over Brown for my two player UFC parlay from Jacksonville on Saturday night. Wow. That was something else. <laughs> Jim Cunningham, he he, uh, he already outproduced you for this episode, like just sound effects and everything. <laughs> yeah, That's know. crazy. I know. He's got a lot of free time. I don't know what He's to think of that. All right. I'll look at, for those names. All right, Parlay Kid, you had Ferguson on a parlay last week. He lost. Yeah. Yep. You going back yep. to UFC? Yeah, I'm going to go back to UFC, Sal. We got a, um, 
We're just going to be taking straight up Walt Harris on Saturday night over Overeem. He's sitting as a minus 162 uh, favorite here. Uh, he's got a lot to fight for, Sal. He had some tragedy recently in his life. Uh, as has uh, been well documented, we don't have to really get into it at this point. But I think he's a he's a very motivated fighter. Uh, Overeem, uh, he, look, he's one of the he's actually uh, he might be considered one of the greats at one time, but he's he's taken a lot. He's really taken a lot of punishment, especially over the last few years. Um, uh, he doesn't take a punch so well anymore. I think at some point probably <laughs> Harris ends this fight, but uh, to be safe, he's sitting there at minus one sixty two on Fox Bet. So let's just take Harris to win. Uh, on Saturday night. All right. Yeah, Overeem's stock plummeted a little bit when, um, what's his name, we got just pummeled by Naganu. Yeah. And, yeah. Although, over, yeah. although over Rosenstrick, but Overeem was actually beating him most of the fight. He was. Until his, till his yep. lip came off. So it's going to be interesting <laughs> to see. All right. Brother Brian, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I really like the Walt Harris fight, and he's a really good guy. Like, if you're watching this fight, you should be rooting for him, especially with everything going on in his life. But um, yeah, should you listen to me right now? Best bet after last week's show um, <laughs> for the UFC, probably not. Um, but I do like Eric Anders plus one thirty off over uh, Christoph Yako. A very even fight. Uh, it's weird. Both both fighters have won their last two, lost their three before that. Uh, but Anders is significantly more powerful. Uh, much be- much more advantage in the power department. And especially after Jaco suffered um, a couple of KO losses to Brad Tavares and Uriah Hall and uh, his two last losses, which were, I mean, they were probably two years ago. So his, you know, his chin's maybe not all there. So again, I think this is, I think it's an even fight. So I'm not sure why uh, the plus 130 money here. Um, usually Jaco's fights when he does win, most of them go to decision. So uh, I would say uh, Anders by some type of knockout, but I'll, I'll take him just to win at plus one thirty. All right, I, I can't even find one of Harry's fights on it. What Michael? Ba- <laughs> what, what was the first one? Baeza? Miguel Baeza. Miguel Baeza. All right, that's is that that's on Fox Bet. Yep. All right, I'll find that. All right, I'm going to go with Harry. I mean, he's the MMA expert, right? <laughs> UFC. We got to go with the hot hand there. That was that parlay pay. Uh, pays just short of two to one. Like it's a plus one eighty. Plus one eighty. Uh, Baeza and Lamware. Is that it on the parlay? Yep. That's there it. There you go. The All train, right. baby. There you go. Yeah. But I mean, he came up with the Jim. He came up with the whistle and everything. How do I <laughs> Sal, not take Sal, I'll say the guy that the guy that's fighting Harry's guy, Lamware, Darren Elkins, one of our our, our cousin Scott's favorite fighters. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Shame on you, Harry. Shame on you. <laughs> Shame on you, but you're definitely going to win now. Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Poor exactly. Cousin that's Scott. How, that's how I had goes. trouble picking a winner. Uh, all right, uh, Harry, you're at AAO Harry, right? AAO Harry, yeah. And also, if you do want some NASCAR picks, I've got them on my best bet corner site and also on Odd Shark this week. There you go. And he's formulating an email for his uh, girlfriend to write her ex-husband, right? You'll be busy with that as well. Ex-husband? That is correct. Yes. <laughs> Working hard on that as well. All right. That's going to be big. Uh, Parlay Kid? I'm at the Chalk Talker, Sal. And um, I guess we went past it. We forgot to mention it last week, but it was our uh, three-year anniversary of, of this uh, podcast. Uh, yeah. How do we do that? Yeah. We kind of forgot to even mention it last week, but happy three-year anniversary, fellas. 
There we go. No one recognizes the Tate Frazier episodes. <laughs> That's right. true. That's true. There's, there's asterisks by a lot of those because of the Tate exactly. Frazier stuff. Um, all right. And Brother Bry? Yeah, I'm at the Brother Bry. Um, doing the same thing every day, Groundhog's Day. So, uh, yeah. It was, I, I, I love the idea of a Wednesday night fight tonight and uh, Saturday. Uh, just keep them coming, UFC. Keep, keep giving us some shows. Yeah, that's going to be fun. All right, Jim Cunningham and you, you're still in your, you haven't shaved, you're shirtless. I shaved everything except the mustache. It's coming in nice. And okay. I have a shirt on today and I'm at Jim Cunningham. The eyes are ones. All right, there you go. Hey, we're not done here in a minute. I am going to interview Richard Escanis. That's the guy who wrote the book that buried Michael Jordan temporarily. $1.3 million. We're going to get to the bottom of it after these messages. Hey, if you've been dealing with acne, redness, dark spots, or wrinkles, finding treatment that works can be complicated. You need skincare that actually performs, but getting started can be overwhelming. Thankfully, there's a solution. Roman makes it convenient to get customized prescription skincare that really performs. Just grab your phone or computer and complete a free online consultation, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if appropriate, a doctor will prescribe a custom blended treatment based on your skin type and priorities. You'll receive your custom skincare treatment with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor if you need to make a change to your treatment or have any questions. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. Go to GetRoman.com Sal for a free online visit and start your new skincare routine today. That's GetRoman.com Sal. Eligibility requirements and additional terms apply. All right, welcome back to Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Joining us now, you may remember, he was featured in The Last Dance this past Sunday. He wrote a book claiming Michael Jordan owed him upwards of $1.3 million that were losses suffered from golf bets, which led to an NBA investigation. Some say led to MJ's retirement. Richard Esquinas, thanks for coming on Against All Odds. Thank you for having me, Sal. Maybe we should start, Richard. Take us through the relationship. Tell us how uh, you and MJ met. So in San Diego, I was co-owner, president, general manager of the San Diego Sports Arena. Uh, I had one partner. My partner and I sponsored, guaranteed, uh, uh, an NBA-sanctioned summer all-star game for you know several years. Year one, um, we were hosting the players and a reception and uh, former – Basketball coach Smokey Gaines, San Diego State coach, introduced me to Michael. We start playing. Mm-hmm. We just start talking golf smack and what clubs you hit, this and that. And I didn't take up much of his time. I wanted to respect his position there. And um, but I but I stopped really just to say, I'm your host. Anything you need, please let, allow me. And and um, I said that to all the sponsors, all the players. But so I told him. I said next day. Tomorrow, uh, I have a game. It's at 7.30 in the morning. If you want to play, come on. Uh, the guys I play with like to mix it up a little bit. Maybe you want, maybe you want to play a little bit. That's fine. Come on. And and said goodbye. I uh, did not know he was going to show, but he uh, drove to Laguna Niguel, got his club, came all the way back for the 7.30 tea time. And um, much to my surprise, he showed up at the tea box. And that's how we met. I mean, that's how we that's how we started our right. our adventure. 
And then so he shows up at the tee box. Is it obvious right then and there there's going to be gambling going on throughout the next few hours or um, that that didn't start until later on? Well, no, Sal, are you kidding me? Come on, there. Um, he was probing and asking that before we teed off. And when we got the number mm-hmm. one tee, um, I remember specifically because I'm thinking uh, I know I can't match this guy's wall. And, I, you know, but I did say to him, I said, how much do you want to play for? And he said, whatever you want. And I said, well, I, you know, you're, you're the guest, whatever you was. So we played $500 in Nassau games. Um, and a long story short, you know, we set those, that, that number. It's, it's a big game, but it's not, you know, off the outer limits sphere of life. And, um, uh, he won $2,500 off me that day, shot his best round of his life, shot 74 and, uh, paying $2,500 and, just as a process of the vetting, one more process, you know, he took my check and ran it up to the B of A branch, cashed it. Mm-hmm. And I know that because the manager knew me and called me uh, said, yeah. right. and, and, and made good on that. He wanted to see if I had the money, wanted to see this, wanted to see that. That was fine. But then we were off and going, you know, he'd done enough vetting to know that I could handle it. Cause there's a, that kind of wagering and that started our, uh, I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see you the next day. And, you know, four straight summers of mm-hmm. uh, a lot of golf, uh, over 125 rounds. It'd be mostly about, I don't know if people understand how the Nassau, the rules of the Nassau game go, but uh, in addition to explaining that, so w- tell us what, what, so it would just be you and him or it would be foursomes where you and he would be betting the most money between each other. And how did this uh, escalate? Nah, there, the were, there, were, there were four, there was a lot of cross betting going over, but him and I had our own wagering. It was uh, between him and I. You know, we never did teams. Mm-hmm. We never did that. Guys in the groups, you know, would would make different bets with them, smaller wagers, just to have friendly wager. You know, and um, and that's that's very common. Everybody plays for a little bit of money if they want to play, and we nobody was after the, nobody was trying to get over on anybody with regard to money. But Michael did have a little little extra strength, a little extra predator in him about coming for me because he knew I could afford some money, you know, so him and I just right. gradually built up, you know, Nassau games, just basically a, a wager where you're betting on the front side, the back side, the 18 hole bet, and then you're allowed pressing and pressing means new bets. And we played two down automatic presses. Right. And then, so fast forward four years later and he owes, you claim he owes you uh, over a million dollars, right? Well, what happened was uh, he was down 600000 to me at the end of year three, and um, uh, we started discussing over the whole year, if you will. Um, you know, I was going to playoff games. I was, we were engaged. I make phone calls every once in a while, you know. And, you were engaged to Michael Jordan? This is bigger news than anything. Uh, yeah, we didn't get married, oh, but we were oh. engaged. Um, okay. Uh, we... we um, engages in a phone call every once in a while. He called me back, I called him back. Nobody bothered anybody. Gotcha. Um, right. But on his agenda, when he was down $600,000, this is how it got to 1.25. When he was down $600,000, I spent the better part of nine months to a year convincing him, we don't have to play anymore for this amount. This is crazy. This is a level where we don't have to get to. And... Um, he spent time pushing back, being uh, being Michael, chasing uh, you know that that desire to, to break me, to get me a point of discomfort, and um, mm-hmm. 
And eventually, after much to my chagrin, I told him, okay, look, we will play. And this is a key point to this whole story and this whole drama is that mm-hmm. he chose, he chose at that point that he wanted to play for 1.2. I offered him buy out, buy out, let's get out, let's get out. No, no, no. But I did tell him, I said, when I, when I gave it to that, when I gave him that wager, it was two thirty-six whole days. Um, and I told him, and I looked him in the eyes without sunglasses and said, Michael, listen now, we don't have to play for this, but if we play for this, if we play for this, um, I'm going to come to win and I'm going to come to get paid. I want out of this. I mean, it was much more about, I got to have the money. It wasn't that. It was, it was much more about, I'm done with this crazy high stakes stuff. Let's get back to, I mean, a thousand dollars, couple, four or 5,000, that's plenty for me in terms of, you know, and, and I could handle that, but it was, I, I didn't get that much more excitement between 20,000 and a hundred thousand. There's not much more to go. So I'm trying to create a timeline here. What, so he, oh, what, at what point of the debt process did you decide to write the book? Was it after he owed you the full amount or um, you were taking notes all throughout? After he lost, after I told him, after we had this huge ongoing multi-communication back and forth, toe to toe, um, encounter, you know, and, and I stated, you know, I will come to play and I will come to win if we play this, then we played and I won. And that's when he fled. That's when he ran. That's when he did like a Forrest Gump, just ran and tried to ignore, Mm -hmm. tried to offset, tried to pretend. And it was kind of an arrogant way too. Um, and that's when I thought now my thoughts at that time were multifold. Wow. Is he in trouble? Uh, wow. What have I gotten into? I'm an, I'm a sports and entertainment executive. I mean, I, I had some profile issues too. I didn't want to be, I didn't want the story to be told by somebody else. I wanted to tell the story mm-hmm. and I wanted to control the narrative of that. And then I started thinking about the book, getting the books. So I started writing it, documenting it, um, started the publishing process. Then he caught wind, and I don't know how, but he caught wind and uh, from the sports and entertainment industry, whatever, and caught wind, and that's when he came to me to settle. And um, mm-hmm. when we got into settlement discussions, I was always at that point in time about meet me halfway, Michael. That's all. And um, he was, mm-hmm. he said, Rich, I, that's when he issued his his uh, pretty much a temper tantrum. And said, I'm not going to pay that. I just assumed shoot you. Kind of a threat, very much a threat in some circles, you know, but I wasn't, you know, pushed or intimidated. But that's when I saw his bullying nature, his inner competitor. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, I, I literally, he would say, I'll give you three $100,000 checks over the next year. And at that point in time, it, the knife fight had been, you know, been cut and splashing, and dashing. And um, I, I just said, that's fine, Michael. If you're not going to come toward my way, it's, it's a start. And, uh, he whispered to me, I, you know, I don't want to hear anything about a book. Well, he didn't say, if you don't pay me, I'm not going to, if you don't, if you publish that book, I'm not going to pay you. He never, no discussion of that, nor did they offer up like I asked for non-disclosure of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, look, I was in the business of doing deals with major entertainment properties, whether it's WWE at that time, WWF, uh, you, you know, concerts, rock, major rock shows, et cetera, et cetera. Right. 
Um, it was no, I mean, I, I saw lots of flexibility and options. The long and end of it was at that point in time, I knew, you know what, I, I got to go through with this book no matter what happens because I, I, I wanted to protect myself. And yes, there was a thread of vengefulness, I guess, where, you know what, he's trying to get over on me. I can't, I'm not taking this, nor am I taking the bullying. You know, I, I, I fought bullies right. when I was a kid. I grew up where, in a neighborhood that had a lot of bullies. You know, it's uh, well, let me, let me ask you this real quick because I'm, I'm trying to make sense of some of okay, this. So, sure, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, he, he owes you money. Um, he gets wind of you writing this book. You're now you're writing the book basically because, you know, gambling is not enforceable. Certainly not one-on-one -on -one gambling, uh, you know, for golf games is not enforceable. You have no recourse. You can't go to the courts. Right. So you're going to write this book. You're, you're going to expose him. He catches wind of it. He only offers you $300,000. Now here's a guy who really like declines million dollar speaking engagements like every week. But right. so coming up with a million dollars, million two is not, is no skin off his teeth and right? also, by I'm any stretch of the imagination. Give me, give me three payments, uh, two fifty over the next three. I mean, I was flexible. I didn't have to have it today at that point in time. It was, that was way, but yeah, go ahead. What are you thinking? Well, but don't you see why people might think like maybe he just did owe you $300,000. Why wouldn't he pay the whole thing and not worry about a book coming out, which by the way, he gave you the money and the book came out anyway. It doesn't really make sense from his perspective as well, to from his perspective, why he would. Yeah, I hear you. But from his perspective, it doesn't make any sense at any point in time because whether it's, there's no price elasticity between 300 and a million two with his pocketbook, other than him wanting to get over right. me in the negotiations. So it's not like he feared the money. He just, and, and he should have known that a man of my persona in the industry, entrenched in the industry, it could be volatile. All he had to do, there would have never been a book had he come to the table and just fairly negotiated and got this done. And he had over a year. If you look at the dates, this is spread out over a year that he had to settle it. We're saying, we're saying the same thing. Like he's, I think this is the last thing he wants in his life is your book or your affiliation or anything coming out with you. He has enough money to cover it. I think the money in question was in, in doubt. That's, that's what makes me think. And then you, go ahead, go ahead. Sal. Go ahead. You're uh, letting the whole theory uh, 93. You said he was a friend. You wanted to teach a friend a lesson. You thought the friend, but you're, you're ditching that there, right? I don't want to go Connie Chung on you, but that was, that was well, nonsense. Yeah. Point, and I'll right? be honest with you. The word addiction, I read up. I mean, I, I'm not, uh, and I can talk more about this. I mean, we were having another experience other than just the normalcy of, of the addictive drive, but it was an addiction. I did my title. I, I didn't realize I'd be insulting the addiction community. And I apologize because they've done great things for a lot of people. Um, when I said the word addiction, him and I were addicted to each other. Kerosene on fire. That's the way I couched it. That was a, the addiction as much as anything. Uh, because I, mm -hmm. I, it, it was episodic. It was an episode, uh, continually repeated. Um, and, and, and Michael had the option of getting out. It's just not in him to get there. He wants to pounce. He wants to get something over on you. And, um, for whatever reason, for whatever reason that, that goes well deep into the, 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 the chemistry and the physiology. And I represented it way back then. It wasn't that he could not pay. It's just that he would not pay. And in my world, if he had came and said, I can't pay, I can't pay. I'm going to get a divorce. I don't have the money, which is a bit of BS story, but he never said that. He just 
wouldn't mm-hmm. pay and didn't pay. And that's what got me. I just could not accept wouldn't pay. I understand can't. I don't understand won't. Well, and I don't understand. I don't understand it either. And 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 if we learned anything about Michael Jordan, and you know him, he wouldn't know me from flying the wall. But uh, he wants to get something over on you. He's going to beat you. That's the only way he yeah. does it. You know. So I would think he want to keep, keep doubling one. up he wanted, until he beats you. Exactly. Here's another one. He wanted a W. He wanted a win. And. Without, mm-hmm. by paying, my theory, my deep-rooted theory, which I'm going to write in the other book, which is already pretty much done, but th- is this, by writing a check, by giving that transactional energy of actually paying me creates a loss. And that's a big loss for him, no matter what, because it's one-on-one. Although I know he loses that on tables frequently, you know, but a yeah. one-on-one skilled game, his game against mine, it's another level. And just like in Vegas, it's the same thing. It's a game of chance versus a game of skill. In his game of skill, he wanted to pounce on me and beat me. He, by paying me, he would have admitted loss. And I think that was just too much for him to swallow, to be quite candid with you. Um, and so then you and you release this um, right during the finals. Uh, I, did, do you regret that move? I mean, did, didn't you, did you think about like that might – that make make you look like a scumbag or you didn't even care at that point? Um, I knew there's going to be the Jordan haters who just, you know, relentlessly drink the juice and, you know, or Jordanologists and everything else that, you know, but, um, I, you know, the only thing that really, uh, surprised me was the immediacy of people's opinion without reading the book or talking to me, just automatically came to right. the haters, you know? And, um, but in retrospect, and this this gap of time that I've had this quiet, I've enjoyed it. Uh, but I've always known, always known, Sal, that one day I'd come back to this. And at this point in time, and and my second book coming, forthcoming, it's called Michael and Me Two: Breaking Silence, mm-hmm. and it's about my yoga, my yatra yoga teacher, been a yoga teacher, doing yoga business, and and everything else, but. I've uh, been to India three times with camera crews and, and I, 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 you know, I've, I've been on a spiritual quest. I'm a spiritual guy, uh, internally, okay. uh, internally reflective. So I, I knew that, um, I would come back to this because, and this is the primary reason there are untruths, there are mistruths and there's cold lies. And I'm going to clarify all that in a very calm, settling, normal psyche, as opposed to a hyper frenzy, the media, your, your media brethren were brutal. You know, New York guys loved me. Chicago guys hated me. People throw down. Well, here's why they were brutal, I, I think. I think it was because you, you, you leaned on the whole friend thing. Like, I'm writing a book, too. I'm writing a sports gambling memoir, and I'm very careful not to tell tales that could potentially ruin lives. You know, I bet high-stakes games with friends, and it right. would be really bummed if I released that information. Right. And, uh I'm not sure if you wrote this about me. I would let you scamper off into the mountains unscathed. I think if you had come to Connie Chung and said, hey, this guy owes me money. I want money and the courts are not going to help me out. So here's my book. Instead of making it about a friend, like a friend, if a friend has a problem, you talk to him face to face or A or B, you have an intervention uh, way down on the list of what you do for a friend is write a book about how he owes you a uh, million dollars. I think that's bravo, where you went bravo wrong. Bravo on that comment. Bravo on that clarity. And the thing oh, was, thank you. first of all, uh, being friends with Michael is not like being a normal friendship. There's no blueprint. It's a different gig. Okay. There's a different psyche. 
media mic. I talk sometimes, you know, he's in the media. You gotta have to deal with that component. It's not like, uh, he's my buddy down the street. I understand and honor friends and, and, I, and I have a lot of lifetime friends and it, yes, I honor and appreciate that. But what kind of friend runs from an obligation and tries to hide and tries to, you know, kick right. it up as nothing. You know, that's a whole nother. He started the knife fight with the first cut and, um, and he became bullish. And I, I didn't know how else to push back other than, look, dude, I, I'm going to come at you with all full force if you keep total denial of this obligation. I mean, he didn't even want to talk. It was think, a, a dead silence. And that's after four years, that's kind of tough. I think that's that would have been the better way to go. I, th- I think you lost a little credibility. And first of all, everybody loves Jordan. So you, you had a high, a big hump to climb there. But yes. you lost credibility when you talked about the friend and is my friend and I want to protect my friend kind of thing. Let me ask you this. Do you think MJ, you think he took a year off because of the gambling investigation or no? Yes. The investigation was, um, I call it a sham and I write extensively about it. No investigative techniques of standard practice were, were practiced. I think um, uh, partner Stern, partner owners ha- were hoping to, and here's the, I'll give you a little core signal here that they wanted to discredit me as best they could. But here was a man that, you know, the reason I had so many facts and details, I'm a business executive. I record my appointments and dates. I'm busy, you know, and I've got mm-hmm. an administrative assistant knows where I'm at, where I'm going, who to tell me to call where, um, So it was easy to document. It was already documented whether I wanted it or not. You know, I just had to kind of pull in and glean it a little bit or, uh, you know, give us some narrative. Um, Mm. You know, the the essence of that is that I just can't see him ever compromising his position because I did state sponsor. He came out and lied. He called me a liar, said that that 1.2 was not true. You know, so that was another thing that disrupted me. Now he's trying to, at this point in time, he's trying to tell the world that it's a bad association and things like that. I introduced him to the best people San Diego has, took him to the best courses San Diego has, never used him for a tea time, always hid him behind my tea time. That's another reason he likes me. You know, I didn't have to say, I'll play with Michael, give me a tea time. I already had swag at many, many courses I could get him on. And that's what he liked. Um, what what about now? What do you um do, do you gamble with that? I can't imagine anyone would gamble with you right now for fear that you write yeah, about them. But do you gamble with people? No, no, no. Quite the opposite. Everybody, I got more people coming at me now who want to play than ever before. Really? Because they want to play the guy who played the guy. Um, it's not about rattling. It wasn't about a rattling thing with with Michael. It was it was a matter that I wanted the facts out. That's the other. There's another thread there, and that is I wanted the facts out. I didn't want it coming out some other way. You know, but we know mm-hmm. now about Michael's different in terms of magnitude. He was still a superstar, but at that point in time, you know, I, and you, you hear about it, guys make 20, 25 million a year. They spend 40 million. I mean, I didn't know for sure. I wasn't, I, there was a lot of doubt in my mind. Um, mm. and, 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 and you're right. right. I, well, you know, there's, it's... there's a problem. You get hindsight that works 2020 and I, and I appreciate the comments and I've had those thoughts, but with reflection, you know, I did what I thought was best. I pushed against the bully, you know, and I, I pushed as hard as I could because, you know, I have a little competitive streak in me too. And, and it, it kind of tickled that one a little bit. 
And what are you do? What are you doing now? You're uh, you're in the yogi world. That's how you. I'm in the yoga business. Published author. I I I teach a brand of yoga, Japa Yoga, Japa Lakita Yogi journaling, and I I do this technique for golf, advanced techniques for golf. But I'm a longtime TMer, transcendental meditation, and I spent time uh, getting advanced techniques and going to India and um uh and understanding the the life and travels that I that I not just ventured in in my whole life, but with Jordan, obviously, of course, but he wasn't. He never overshadowed yeah. my life before, nor did he overshadow it afterwards. You know, I mean, but well, he wasn't I mean, such a dominant figure. It's I, such a it's such a cliche story. Degenerate golf gambler turns yogi. I mean, you know how many we've seen it with John Daly, so many, so many others in the past. Uh, yeah. Where, where is this yoga studio, Richard? Oh, right now I just have a home studio. Right, now I'm just doing a home studio. I'm streaming, just getting ready to stream. But I've done. Uh, I taught in Columbus, Ohio. I taught fifteen thousand hours of formal class instruction. Had three studios and uh, had a very successful business from uh, 1997 to uh, 2007. And I spent all the right. Whole year. And now, do you bet you do you bet your students a hundred thousand on uh, if they could hold a downward facing dog nah, longer than you? Yes, I, I, I never. Nothing pushed, like that. I never. Never pushed my notoriety with Jordan or the sports and entertainment industry with my yoga students. I have a, I have a yoga background that, that's legitimate. And uh, my, my passion was always about sharing the art of yoga with my students. You know, and um, all right. some people found out. Some people did find out. They all want to hear the story. And, um, you know, I don't um, – I, I, you, you, you raise a couple of good points. Should I? Should I not? And, and the long, long and short of it is I did what I thought I had to do. Michael would not pay, not that he could not pay, and he drew first blood. And that, that has a foundation for, uh, you know, all a fair yeah. love and war. Right. It was just tough for you to have it both ways. Like, this is my friend, and I want to get paid, and he better pay me. And, oh, I'm going to release this the week of the finals. Like, it was a, it was a lot going on for you to curry favor in the uh, you know yeah, in the sports gamblers the, community. The public, well, I hear that. That's fine. The, the, um, the publishing date was actually a little bit later, but uh-huh. it, it, people caught wind of the book and there's the mumbling yeah. started. I said, let's just release it. And, um, <laughs> and it was, I mean, I said, let's go ahead, baby. We get some planets. I never knew it was going to get the magnitude of play. I could never anticipated that. Right. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Richard. I join Richard's yoga class and, um, yeah, make sure to pay him in full or he'll write a book accusing you maybe of owing him three times of what you actually do. You never know. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Sal. Have a good one, man. Bye Thank now. Thank you so much. All right. That'll do it for another episode of Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Catch me and the rest of the Lock It In crew on The Herd Monday through Friday on FS1. Watch Jimmy Kimmel Live 1135 tonight and every weeknight on ABC. That's that for the Degenerate Trifecta Hill producer Jim Cunningham and Richard Eskinas. I'm Sal. Sing so long and happy handicapping. Na 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 na